Liverpool. Uh, we are. Uh, we had a couple of three, not great results, but uh, there's a big game coming up on uh, Sunday. Yeah. We're playing United. We're playing United at home. So um, I hope that uh, I hope that we we pick it up a little bit and uh, we find the same form we had against Palace. So what time is the game on uh, Sunday? I think it's uh, the 11:30 p.m. I mean a.m. Okay. So are you going to be there at home in front of your TV or here managing COVID-19? Uh, it's the biggest game of the season. I mean, come on. <laughs> That's the right answer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first 2021 edition of At WCSU, the podcast of information, context, and truth about Western Connecticut State University. I'm Paul Steinmetz here with Pete Puccio, and together we plan to keep you safe and happy during the pandemic and even afterward. Yes, no matter what I say, Pete will back me up. And if he doesn't, I will order a mob to chase him into the basement. Wow, too soon. No, it is. Yeah. Plus, we're also in a basement already. It's true. You'll have to uh, keep your Viking costume nearby so you can blend in. (laughs) I always do. (laughs) So after months of recording this podcast from setups at our homes and asking you to endure less than the highest quality audio with dogs barking in the background and my daughter interrupting us to ask for cash to buy coffee... Pete and I are risking our lives back in the Westcon studios, here in the basement of Whitehall. Why? Well, I'm not sure. Why are you making us do this, Pete? It's not my call. You're the boss. Oh, I thought you said we were going to do it, so I showed up. (laughs) Hey, no matter where we are, we are going to bring you interviews with professors, students, and administrators to give you the best information about life at Westcon. Today, we'll be joined by Pano Kukopoulos, whose title is Director of Emergency Management. And since the beginning of 2020, he has also been the one in charge of figuring out how to respond to the pandemic. I swear he's been working seven days a week and had almost no time off since it started, and he's really devoted to getting the university's response right. So let's talk to Pano about where things stand a few days before the beginning of the spring semester. So we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, what everyone can expect when they uh, come on campus now. And I know we don't have everything um, nailed down, every detail uh, decided yet, but generally we can tell students and faculty and staff um, how it's going to look at the, in the last week of January when uh, students, residential students start to come back to campus. Is that right? That's correct. So, uh, all in all, it's not going to look much different than uh, it did when we had everybody back in, uh, in the fall. Mm-hmm. What uh, will be different is uh, the frequency of uh, testing. So, uh, that is the, 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 the big change that everybody is going to notice uh, since uh, last semester. Testing but for everything students. Else, is the same. I, I mean, we still have to uh, be wearing our masks. We mm-hmm. still have to maintain the, the six-foot distancing. 
the washing hands will be something that we have to uh, abide by the rest of our lives. So, um, you know, we just have to be vigilant. We have to be smart and uh, get tested. And slowly we will see that uh, the vaccines are going to be rolling in. And when it's our turn to, to go take it, we should go take it. Right. So for students who live on campus, we're uh, telling them they need to have a, to get a PCR COVID-19 test before, in the week before they come to live on campus and have a negative result and give that to us and uh, so, they, so that they can come in and live in the residence halls. And um, then they're gonna be, we're, we are going to test them again five days after they arrive, correct? So, exactly. They have to come to the campus pre-tested. And like you said, Paul, they have to be, they have to have a negative uh, PCR test that has been administered no more than seven days prior to the, uh, the, the scheduled day of arrival. Mm -hmm. When they come, we will test them as they come to campus. Again, another PCR oh. test. Mm -hmm. And then on day five after arrival, uh, they will get another uh, PCR test. From that point on, we're going to have a weekly uh, schedule, and um, every residential student will be tested until the conditions on ground uh, improve. Mm -hmm. And uh, at that point, we may have to scale down the frequency. Mm -hmm. But uh, for the first month, month and a half, we will require for every residential student to be tested every week. And last semester, it was only about a quarter of the residential students tested each week, right? We rotated it through. So this year, every student, residential student will be tested every week. And uh, Yeah, so mm -hmm. last semester, uh, every student was able to, to get tested at least once a month. Mm -hmm. And now we are uh, we're upping the ante. Yeah. So it does up the ante. So we're going to have two testing sites, uh, I believe, one on the Midtown campus and one on West Side. And that was uh, our request and our plan. Mm -hmm. uh, however, I just got off the phone uh, with uh, Griffin, and uh, they cannot support that. Yeah. So, Griffin's a uh, testing company. The testing, yeah, the, the testing company cannot uh, uh, provide us two testing locations, so uh, we have to uh, maintain that same site at the west side uh, uh, campus, the O'Neill Center. Mm -hmm. uh, we are going to expand uh, the size of uh, that testing site because we're going to have more uh, swabbers and uh, more individuals that will help us um, do the, the data entry. And uh, the hours of testing are going to be uh, expanded. So uh, we are still working on all those details. Uh, like I said, I just got off the phone with uh, Griffin. So before we make any further decisions, uh, this is something that we need to uh, hush out with uh, our leadership team. Sure. So just like last year, there were a lot of decisions made on the fly as things changed and uh, kept you on your toes. 
Well, I, I think that's, uh, that's part of the deal uh, because uh, what did Mike Tyson say? Uh, uh, you have a plan until you get punched in the mouth. That's right. So <laughs> uh, that's where we are. We have a plan. Listen, if you have a plan, you know what the general direction is. Right. If you don't have a plan, then uh, then I'm not going to say where you go because uh, um, uh, it's not proper language for uh, the type of uh, programming that you're doing. Yes, we'd beep you out. So uh, you, you, we had a plan. You just got punched in the mouth, and we're going to continue to uh, we'll replan here. Uh, one of the things you, I think we know is that we're going to need a lot of volunteers to help administer all this extra testing every week. Uh, so students might see their math teacher, say, uh, while they're standing in line to uh, get swabbed. Uh, the math teacher won't be swabbing, I don't think, but will be, I don't know, sweeping up or something like that, right? Well, again, uh, given the, uh, the updated information that I have uh, from the conversation with the testing company, uh, it, it sounds like um, we will have we we will have the need for some uh, additional help, but uh, it may be a little bit more manageable than uh, uh, we originally uh, anticipated. Mm -hmm. So, I think the next couple of days will be critical for us because uh, I, we will get a much better idea as to what days will be available. Mm -hmm. uh, for uh, uh, our residents and our students to get tested, mm -hmm. and also what kind of uh, uh, support we will need from uh, uh, the university community to make that happen. Good. Now, along with this, you're not in charge of this part, but along with uh, the increased testing and per our discussions with the state and the Board of Regents for the system that um, WestCon reports to, uh, we're also going to have classes online only for the first week, uh, starting January 26th through February, to February fi uh, 1st, right? So, um, uh, the... Yes. The then... Department of Public mm -hmm. Health mm -hmm. has uh, uh, concerns that... Um, because of the holidays and because of everything else that is going on, uh, there may be an increased opportunity to um, have a greater number of cases. So what we will do is we will um, try to integrate our um, residents back on campus by um, having them stay within the confines of the campus for uh, the first week so that, you know, everybody gets acclimated and uh, uh, we follow the, the guidelines that uh, were given to us. And from that point on, and as you said, February 1st, we will be able to uh, resume the quote-unquote uh, COVID normal uh, mm -hmm. activities. Mm -hmm. And the state is experiencing a surge of cases right now. But we know from our experience here on campus last semester uh, that uh, we had our share of cases, but none of them were transmitted in classrooms, that um, 
we had it set up with desks six feet apart, everybody was wearing masks, the professors were masked and apart from students. And uh, so even in-person classrooms, there was no COVID transmission on campus. That's uh, correct, right? Yes. And um, I'm glad that you brought this up because um, we did experience students that, unbeknownst to them, mm-hmm. they were positive. They came to uh, class. They sat down. They stayed in the classroom for uh, the, the amount of time they had. And then they let us know that they were positive. Mm-hmm. So, of course, uh, that caused some concern. But, on the other hand, we didn't see any uh, transmission uh, in in, uh, in those environments, and that tells me that everybody did what they were supposed to, and um, it was great. So uh, the majority of the transmission that we saw was um, from uh, you know coming from the community, and uh, that's the reason that uh, uh, DPH would really like us to keep everybody on campus. You know, in that um, um, quote-unquote quarantine state for that one week, so that um, we can we can like go over the curve without having uh, too many issues. Right. Uh, the I believe about a third of our courses or classes have some component of in-person. Um, uh, meeting uh, in the coming semester. A lot of them are going to be um, all online, but there will be about a third will be meeting in person with professors and students. That includes the labs, which were also the chemistry and bio labs laboratories, which were also very successful last semester, partly because the um, science building has a great airflow and they uh, put in extra guidelines. Uh, to make sure the students who had to do that hands-on research uh, were protected. So actually there's been a lot of success stories here and um, demonstrating that students and faculty and staff followed the rules and did what they were supposed to do for the most part. That's right. And uh, if you think about it, it wasn't until uh, probably after Halloween that uh, we started seeing an uptick. And uh, if we, all things considered here, the, the number of cases that uh, we experienced were insignificant in, in the, the big scheme of things. Mm-hmm. And um, that's not because, uh, you know, we did what we did. It's because our community came together and uh, they did the right thing, and uh, that's what kept us um, going until Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. No, that's good, and that's why we have a fair amount of confidence going into the spring semester, too. Yeah, exactly. So on a little bit different subject, um, just to remind people, we have nothing to do with vaccinations, at least at this point. You aren't going to get vaccinated on campus. They aren't going to be offered by the university on campus. Um, that's uh, handled uh, by 
different organizations and um, we're just keeping an ear out to uh, make sure that when any of us, including our students, can get vaccinated, that we'll put that information out, but it will not be administered by the university, at least at this point. Is that correct? So I can uh, talk about vaccinations a little bit. Uh, each um, company, organization, uh, what have you, has... Uh, a person that is designated as the, the employer coordinator for uh, uh, the vaccine distribution. And uh, what uh, the Department of Public Health has done is they have been able to, uh, to provide the vaccines on a tiered approach. And this is based on uh, uh, risk management uh, principles. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, those that are deemed to be at higher risk, uh, healthcare professionals, uh, individuals that work in uh, um, uh, nursing homes, uh, patients in nursing homes, um, EMTs, paramedics, fire, police, folks that, you know, are in the front lines. Mm -hmm. Those were uh, the first group of people that uh, were asked to uh, participate in the vaccination process. Now uh, the state is uh, ready to roll phase 1B. Uh, in which they are going to be asking for uh, frontline workers, essential employees, uh, folks over 75, to be um, signing up and uh, getting their vaccine. Mm -hmm. So what we do is uh, when we get the, uh, um, the call from uh, the Department of Public Health, we put our list together, again, based on the criteria that they provide. Mm -hmm. We upload those lists on uh, the system, and then it's on the individual to uh, participate or not. When it comes uh, to um, the student population, we haven't heard anything yet. But, uh, listen, the idea is that everybody gets uh, offered the vaccine. So mm -hmm. uh, it's coming. So sometimes we have to be patient. And uh, be careful. Right. And I thought it was interesting what you said about hand washing. That's something we're going to be doing, everyone, for the rest of their lives. <clears throat> I have noticed that I wash my hands a lot more. Even when I'm at home, I just don't want to take the chance of picking something up from a doorknob or something and um, getting sick, whether it's COVID or something else. So. It's uh, a little bit annoying, but it's uh, I'm trying to take care of myself, and I think a lot of people are going to be in that same situation. Yes, uh, and that, this is something that uh, I have been uh, uh, talking about in my classes for years now, uh, way before COVID. Mm -hmm. And my, my point was, listen, you go to the gas station, right, and... Uh, Everybody goes to the gas station. Mm -hmm. They go, they fill up, and then especially when we go to a, uh, we take a road trip, after gassing up, we go to the convenience store inside, we buy a bag of chips, and uh, we lick our fingers clean. Well, wait a minute. Do we know what the person that used the pump before us did with their hands? Mm. I mean, that's pretty disgusting, right? Yes. And I'm not even bringing up. Uh, the, that the hazards that are associated with the fluid that's 
inside the pump, right? right. The gasoline. Right. I'm talking about just about the hands and all the, you know, goopy stuff that uh, can be found in, on an item that is used on a daily basis. Right. By thousands, hundreds at least of people, every one of those things. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's a good uh, thing coming out of COVID. We're being uh, a little healthier, taking care of ourselves. Yeah, and another thing is that I think that by now, everyone has uh, a little uh, bottle of uh, hand sanitizer mm -hmm. in, the, in their car or mm -hmm. in their pocket. So there's nothing wrong with keeping it there even after we get through this, uh, uh, you know, this excitement. Yeah. <laughs> this excitement. That's how we'll remember it. Yeah. <laughs> well, Pano, we're going to keep in touch with you during the rest of the semester. So if it's okay, we'll give you a call from time to time and see how it's going. But uh, for now, thanks very much for all the work you've been doing and the devotion you've um, given of your time and yourself to this issue here to keep us all safe. We all appreciate it. You're welcome, but uh, last time I requested that uh, uh, you guys uh, uh, make me sound like Keith Betts, and when I listened to the previous podcast, <laughs> I sounded like me. So, you know, what's up with that? I'll talk to Pete about that. All right, please do. Yeah, okay. I'll talk to Pete about that. <laughs> All right, thank you, Pano. All right, guys. Talk thank to you. Bye-bye. Stay healthy. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's funny. My mom was a bio major, oh, yeah. and she said you could always tell who had taken microbiology and who hadn't because anybody <laughs> who had taken it washed their hands for like a minute. You could see them like really scrubbing. So I think at this point we've all sort of taken microbiology. Yeah, you can imagine those yeah. things on your hands. I mean, you went from very, to you know, in my experience at least, very few people actually washing their hands in the restroom yeah. to now most people still aren't doing like the full 20 or 30, 20 seconds, whatever they're supposed to be, but at least they're, yeah, <laughs> seems like they're attempting. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when anybody offers me a potato chip out of the bag, I uh, decline now. Yeah. And it's funny because all those things that you take for granted, even things like shaking hands, mm -hmm. sharing food, stuff like that. I mean, just, yeah. Like we had a, our water heater went a couple weeks ago and we had a guy in the house fixing it and he was there for, couple hours and you know, mask on the whole time my family was down the hall and I had a mask on and uh he left and I followed him outside to ask him something and he had taken his mask off and it scared me because I like <laughs> I, you know, I'd been there with the guy for two hours and had no idea what he looked like it's very strange it is strange and I think the transition after we get vaccinated to uh it'll be sl slow going to uh, being used to, again to people not wearing their masks and uh, shaking hands and things like that. You wonder if stuff like that will come, like, will we go back to shaking hands? I don't That's know. It's kind of a weird thing to do anyway. Yeah, it is weird. And <laughs> but, people, some people will still keep wearing masks because yeah. of their own conditions. Yeah, remember like a couple anymore. years ago when there was the SARS, mm -hmm. the bird flu in Asia, and we, you saw people in Hong Kong wearing masks, and we all thought they were crazy. Yeah. And, like now, that's us every day. So, and if you saw somebody making wearing a mask here, you'd make fun of them. And yeah. You, no, no, no longer. Very strange. Mm -hmm. Anyway, 
Hey, the Women's Center of Greater Danbury, their uh, fundraising breakfast is coming up February 3rd. Cool. It'll be all online. There'll be lots of stuff for people to tune into and uh, get some good life information about in support of the Women's Center. And that's uh, WCOGD.org. .org. So if you go to their website, you'll see how to uh, sign up for that. Of course, we have a Women's Center office on the campus for all students to use. Yeah, they're great. They've run some events and things that we've we've helped out with, and uh, they're all really cool. Yeah, they've been on the podcast, too, willingly. several podcasts. Mm. Oh, yeah, others besides at WCSU. There are other podcasts, Paul? I don't, I haven't heard of them. <laughs> all right, we're also talking with... Westcon football coach Joe Loth today for a couple of reasons. One, to talk about the lost football season, how he's doing, how the team is doing, and dealing with all the pandemic changes. But also, Coach Loth is a big fan of the Cleveland Browns. We had him on, I think, just before uh, last year, just before the Browns lost the playoff game, and we made fun of him after that. But this week, they won their first playoff game of the playoffs, and they're going against the Chiefs, and he's very optimistic. So we're all rooting for the Browns this year, uh, in the next game at least. So here is Joe Loth. So thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it on the short notice. And, uh, you know, we just wanted to spend some time talking about... um, the lost season and what's coming up and uh, how, you know, how you feel right now. It's been kind of very, very tough on athletics, college athletics, this uh, pandemic. Yeah. I think it's been as as tough uh, mentally on our guys. You know what I mean? As anything else, you know, even as coaches, sometimes, you know, I've I've done the same routine since 1990, you know, I, you know, literally the same routine in August, same routine, and you know, it's and and to, to not have that this fall has been really challenging. Uh, you know, for me, even me mentally, as it is anything else. Sure, it must be very, very tough. And uh, you've been trying to practice and stay connected with your team, uh, the students. Um, but how has that gone? To me, that was uh, extremely challenging because we were initially supposed to, we kind of had a plan where we're going to start in groups of 10 for two weeks. And then that was going to expand to groups of 25, you know, and that was supposed to expand to groups of 50, then expand Mm. to a full team practice. Like we had an eight week plan and really it was about, uh, you know, getting better football wise, but also letting our guys get to know each other. And there's, there's a lot to uh, camaraderie and, you know, building friendships and building all that stuff in football. Mm-hmm. And really we never got out of pods of 10, which mm. was extremely frustrating for our guys uh, because we have so many guys in our team. If we yeah. do a pot of pot of 10, that turns into 14 individual little practices. Uh, and then those pods of 10 never meet anyone else. Right. Like I was talking to two of our seniors, uh, Jarius Bailey and and Jazari Mullins yesterday, 
And they're and I was like, hey, uh, what'd you think of this kid? I never met him. What'd you think oh. of this kid? I never met him. So we went mm-hmm. through a whole fall of guys playing on a football team, and probably nobody met anybody else. And that you know, so it was really frustrating uh, as a coach that that we couldn't you know that our that we weren't able to build any kind of uh, you know team yeah. you know sense of a team in the fall. And our guys weren't be able to able to, to to get that too, and and then we you know we were able to get better. But when you're in a pot of ten as a football team, mm-hmm. and you start eleven guys on offense and eleven guys on defense, yeah, it'd be like, you know, it, it, it's it's more like playing you know being able to go in a pot of two in basketball mm-hmm. where you can't really even run a do anything. So it it, it was extremely challenging uh, football wise to. To, to accomplish what we wanted to was to get better as a program and then also try to build that, you know, that, you know, uh, that family like atmosphere of being on a team. Yeah. And for the uh, individual athletes and, you know, everybody acknowledges um, academics comes first, we're D3, all that. But uh, these students, for these students, I know uh, at their participation in it, the team is extremely important. It's a big part of what they do in college. And I imagine, especially for the seniors, it just must have been very difficult. Yeah, very challenging, uh, especially, like I said, the seniors are no different than me. Most of them have been playing football probably, you know, at least four years. Most of them probably six, ten years, and they're so used to kind of the routine. And then to have their senior year, uh, which is always the pinnacle, whether it's mm-hmm. in high school or in college, uh, athletically, uh, taken away uh, was was extremely challenging. Like I said, mentally as much as as anything else for them, just one more obstacle that they had to face uh, going into this uh, pandemic. And and uh, and once again, not being able to meet as a team, not being able to do a lot of things, it's it's hard for us even to to lend a lot of support. And some of the guys, you know, chose not even to come in the fall, like a lot of students. So they're at home kind of with these feelings. And so it was just nothing, nothing about this pandemic is easy on anyone. No. And it, for these seniors, I mean, I'm sure they'll move on, but it's going to be something of a regret for the rest of their lives or you just can't recapture that or move on from it. You know, in a, uh, you can move on, but you can't um, replace it. Yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, we had, we had four seniors that were going to be seniors that lost the ability to be a senior on a foot, a senior captain on a football team. Yeah. You know, so a bunch of those things uh, kind of all go hand in hand. And I've, I've actually got a unique perspective on this because I'm not only, you know, the coach of the football team, but I've got my son as a freshman on the football team. Uh, so, so I am a parent going through this with a son and I can see firsthand, literally at home, I can see what my son's going through, you know, on campus, off campus, and uh, so that's that's given me even more of a unique perspective when it comes to uh, the uh, kind of the experience of the student athlete on campus. Yeah, it really does, because being a parent is um, a diff- whole different uh, experience that, um, I mean, I know you're really very connected with the parents. You communicate with them all the time, but emotionally, it's a whole different thing. Well, you know what it is? I, I'm seeing the perspective of the challenges of, you know, it's one thing to be a coach and your players come into your office and say, man, these online classes are challenging, you know, mm. blah, blah, blah. It's another thing when you come home and your son's on the computer taking these online classes 
and showing you the challenges of it. And I've got a son that's a junior at Central Connecticut, uh, engineering major there. And, uh, you know, and they're both going through these same challenges of taking yeah. these online classes where they're both pretty personable kids that really develop relationships with their professors, yeah. which helps, helps their academic success uh, in the classroom. So it's just been interesting, not only as a coach, but as a parent, seeing the, uh, you know, the challenges of going through this as a student. Yeah, very interesting. What do you uh, have to say for or advice do you give to parents and high school students, juniors and seniors who want to play in college and lost this season uh, to uh, lost the ability this season to showcase their talents to people like you? Well, it depends. If, if you talk to the New Jersey kids, they played eight high school games this year. That's 40 minutes away. So, uh, so it depends who you're recruiting. The New Jersey kids are coming over here and saying, coach, why didn't you guys play this year? We played eight games, <laughs> you know, and they, and they, yeah. all they see is division one football that's playing games and, and their right. high school states playing games. So those kids come over here and, and, and like, why aren't you playing? And then the New York Connecticut kids are kids kind of like us uh, that are, you know, challenging for them because they're, they're saying, coach, you know, I didn't play my senior year. You know, I was going to be a starter, but I didn't start. So they're kind of conflicted too, as far as how to sell their case and why we should recruit them. Sure. So, and then for us as coaches, there's a bunch of kids we know that they don't blossom into their senior in high school. They may have been a, behind a great player their junior year. And now all of a sudden this kid that uh, was going to be a really good senior player isn't playing or they're supposed to play games in the spring or they're not going to play until the spring. So it's definitely is a dilemma for us and for them evaluating them. And in some ways, we're like, man, we might be able to find some kids, get some steals here of kids that probably may, maybe would have went to a higher level, but they didn't have the opportunity to showcase their talents. But we're still, that's still a, a uh, projection more than anything else in recruiting. You know, what's, what's interesting, we talk about it all the time as, as coaches. You know, we, you, we talked about the seniors losing their senior year. Mm -hmm. But they can get it back in college football. They they can come back in the fall and play again. Nobody lost to your eligibility. Uh, so, so it's a little bit different than high school. But we've already have we have one kid that's graduating and going to the Navy SEALs. You know what I mean? So it doesn't mean they're necessarily definitely coming back. Some kids are ready to graduate, move on. But what, what the dilemma provides us is two things. So we have a senior class that may come back. Okay. Yeah. We, also, we also have a freshman class that really hasn't played which means we'll probably retain more of those kids. Now, usually sometimes a freshman comes in, I don't know, at this level, and I don't know if I can play here. Yeah. Then they end up deciding, I'm going to stay in school, but maybe not play football. So it's really hard for us as coaches. We talk about it every day, and I talk all other coaches at all other levels are like, we're, we're kind of torn. What do we do recruiting-wise? We have our <laughs> seniors that may come back. We have a freshman class that we're going to retain more of. Right. We, have a, we have a roster limit size. How many freshmen can we bring in? But we still don't even know the guys that are on our team. Are they going to come back? We got a bunch of guys that, are, because we're not playing games, uh, the, that have opted to just take online classes, stay at home this year, not live on campus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm coming back, but are those guys still truly going to come back? There's there's so much gray area right now for us coaches of kind of a unstable roster of what we're going through to see how many guys we should be recruiting. And then you throw on top the kids we are recruiting are, are especially the New, the New York and Connecticut kids are like, haven't played football either. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. It's, it's just, it's, it's been the most, uh, I would say bizarre year in, in recruiting 
it's the same at the division one and division two level where there's like, there's a school in, in a division two school in Pennsylvania that, that flat out said, we're not recruiting anyone this year. Wow. Everyone's coming back and they have scholarships. They said, everyone's coming back. Sure. Uh, so we don't have any scholarships available. <laughs> that is really something. I mean, that's never happened before. No, it's never happened. So it's, so I feel for the freshmen coming into some schools because there might not be as many spots, but as coaches, we don't know if there's going to be as many spots. So right. do we, so, so, so we have the conversation all the time. Do we over recruit? Cause we think we're going to lose a bunch of guys because they may not want to come back to school. Do we under recruit because all the guys we have are going to decide to come back. Uh, like, like there's a formula, like every year you, you look at your, your roster size, how many seniors graduate, we need to bring in this many freshmen. But because of this year, we can't, there's no formula on how many guys we should recruit. So, yeah. so every day we get, we go back and forth on, you know, kind of our recruiting process this year. That is very difficult. I mean, there's nothing that can, you can prepare for, or you can't prepare yourself for that. No, you can't. And then ultimately we're in a, I always say it's a zero sum business. It's a business where we've got to win football games to ultimately keep your job in this business. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's the nature of the business. So we, we, we also have got to be looking at making sure we're doing everything we can to be competitive next fall. I mean, we gotta, we gotta, you know, be competitive next fall. So how do we, you know, put this puzzle together to make sure we're putting our guys in position to be successful in the fall. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's transition to your own personal agony about uh, the Cleveland Browns. No agony there, Paul. Yeah. You're on a high right now because they wallop the Steelers even though they weren't you feeling a little nervous in the fourth quarter there where the Steelers were coming back? You know, what's funny is, is I'm on a, just like everyone is I'm in a group text message with, you know, 10 of my high school friends. We're all Browns fans. We're, you know, we're all living around the country right now. And, you know, it's the first quarter we're up like 35, seven. We're all nervous as heck. We're like, <laughs> we, we, we know they're going to come back. We know in the fourth quarter, it's going to be a close game. Let's hope we can, we're up 35, seven. And we're like, we hope we can hang on. <laughs> and it's exactly what happened. You know, it's just, uh, it's happened a bunch for the Browns this year, but, but no better feeling, uh, you know, being from Cleveland than, than yeah. having the, uh, the Browns successful. It was interesting. I saw a thing yesterday that, that the Browns uh, playoff win against the Steelers and, and uh, had a higher rating than the game seven of the world series for the Indians a couple years ago at a higher rating than every, every game the Cavs had in the uh, NBA finals. No that's kidding! How, wow, how, it's a, they always say Cleveland's a Browns town. I mean, it's it's football first in Cleveland. Yeah, if the uh, Browns win the Super Bowl, the whole city's going to go up in flames, right? Yeah, it's going to be. It, it will be. Uh, they will cancel school for a week, probably. <laughs> <laughs> so you go up against the Chiefs this week, Sunday, and um, that's. Uh, what are your feelings? What's your prediction there? Well, I think, first of all, uh, we're excited that we're going to have everybody back. You know, we have our coach back. We have O'Lyman back. We have Denzel Ward, who's a great cornerback. So at least we're going to be playing with a full team. We had some challenges against Pittsburgh last week. And football is, you know, funny, funny sport. You know, the, the, the formula to beat a better team a lot of times is to run the football. Mm-hmm. And we're the best rushing team in, in, in football right now with Kareem Hunt and uh, having uh, Chubb. So... I think we have the, the things in place to shorten the game against the Chiefs, run the football. Our quarterback's playing at a high level right now. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm sure if you looked at our betting odds, it's not very high. 
for the Browns, but there is some things in place that give you a chance in, in, uh, in the way the team is constructed. Yeah. Boy, that's interesting. Okay, the podcast will be rooting for the Browns on Sunday. Actually, you, know, you know what's funny, too, is the uh, you see there's a bunch of articles out there now saying that that because the Browns have been so bad for so long, like mm-hmm. literally they lost all those games in a row and stuff, yeah. that they've become America's team a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you, if you don't, uh, besides your team, that they've become almost like everyone's second favorite team, almost like the Cowboys used to be. Right. You're right. People do know the Browns, at least, you know, a little bit from that lose horrible losing seasons and just a long time out of the playoffs and stuff. So, boy, if they beat the um, uh, Chiefs, it'll be <laughs> very, there'll be a lot of talk about the Browns. Yeah. You know, the problem is you, you, the, part of the Browns' success this year is the lack of talk about them. You know what I mean? Being being chosen, you know, teams counting them as the underdog and stuff like that. So we kind of like playing that, that, that uh, underdog role and the no chance to win role has given them a chance to be successful this year too, I think. Yeah. Well, good. Okay. I'll tune in. I'll, uh, maybe you can include me in your Twitter. Uh, <laughs> put you in there. <laughs> okay. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, we'll touch back with you later and especially if the Browns win and yeah, we'll do um, this next week. If the Browns lose, we got to do this next week. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Joe. Yeah, have a, have a great day, Paul. You too. See you later. All right. We've got so, a couple weeks before school. I can't wait, I'm man. I'm looking forward to it. It's yeah. been a long break. Yes. <laughs> oh, well. But at WCSU, we'll be here the whole time and giving more information. And we're going to have a, a new student co-host. And it'll be uh, fun and uh, interesting. Yeah. We'll try to get some of the... Some of the old regulars back to, to do their segments and try to find some new, uh, you know, new people to new come talent. on and, and talk to you guys. Right. So. All right. So, for at WCSU and Pete Puccio, I'm Paul Steinmetz. We'll see you next week. At WCSU is a production of WCSU Media, engineered by Peter Puccio and produced by Scott Volpe. Listen and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at WCSU Media and on the university's Facebook and Twitter pages. And feel free to reach out to us by email at podcasts at WCSU.edu. Thanks for listening.